Welcome back to It's Okay to Buy Another Book. I am your host, Angela Hilario, writer, bookworm, filmmaker, and actor. I know that's a lot to say, but I mentioned the last two because I decided to do something kind of cool. Well, at least it's cool for me. And I'm going to start adding a segment where I talk about some of the movies I've seen and what I think about them because this is a podcast about books, but I also want to extend it a bit more and talk more about different types of art. And I think it's still related to books and the love of storytelling. So I'm going to include that from now on. If you personally don't care about my thoughts on movies, that is a-okay. You can just go to the description box and you'll find the timestamps for all of the segments in each episode so that you can skip and listen to what you want. I am still so grateful and thankful that you are here and listening and tuning in. So in this episode, I am going to be starting my Road to the Oscars segment where I will rank two out of the 10 Best Picture nominations and see who I think will win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. More on that later. I will also talk about some of the books that I'm excited to read as well as our main topic where I will be reviewing Tomb Sweeping and Prince of Endless Tides, two very different books but still worth talking about. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Alrighty, I am so excited to be doing this Road to the Oscars um, segment because I love movies. I don't know about you, you probably can tell me in the comments if you also love movies. I prefer movies over TV shows, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to be talking about TV shows in this podcast. And you can hear more about that in, um, in my excited to read segment. Also, just a side note, if I continue to refer to myself in the third person, please ignore it. I just, I don't know why, I just can't help it when I'm like by myself. I just always refer to myself as we. Um, That could account for the many voices in my head, but who knows. So, as I mentioned before in the intro, yes, I am a filmmaker and I am an actor. So, I've been acting, well, I first took my first acting class. Um, It was a theater class in college. And that was, do I even want to admit how long that was? Oh my gosh, that was 10 years ago, you guys. I graduated college in 2015. And I took my first acting class, I think this fall semester of 2014. So it's it's going on for 10 years now. Um, It's been on and off. Uh, I've been on many short films and I've acted in a TV show and I've also was an ensemble cast of a feature film that I wrote, directed, and produced. It's called Quarantine Actually and you can watch it online or um, you can order a DVD copy if you're old school and you love DVDs. That's just a little side note. (laughs) Um, Anyways, self-promotion aside, I'm so excited to be talking about the Oscars. I think this year's Oscars are going to be quite interesting because there are a lot of great movies 
and you might think you might think like well there are great movies every year but i think this year there's just so many well-deserved contenders for the best picture nominations the oscars are going to is going to take place on march 10th so that's five weeks away so there are 10 best picture nominations so i decided to do two per episode and i think well no scratch everything that i just said the Oscars are six weeks away, so in the five weeks, I will be talking about two Best Picture nominees each, and then I will, out of those two, I would say who I think is going to win, and then those five Best Picture um, nominees that I picked, I'm going to summarize it on the day of the Oscars, and I'm going to say who I think is going to win Best Picture. That episode... It's going to be coming out on the on Sunday, March 10th in the morning. So if you are a devoted listener to this podcast, definitely check out my nominations and tell me my my pick for best picture and tell me who you think is going to win the best picture. I would love to know. You can leave it in the comments on any of these episodes and I will shout it out in the next podcast episode when I record it. If you are wondering, these are my best picture lineup matches. So first in this episode, we are going to be doing Barbenheimer. I know we're starting off strong. We're going to do Barbie versus Oppenheimer. And in next week's episode, we will be doing Killers of the Flower Moon versus American Fiction. And then we're going to do in the following week, we're going to do Anatomy of a Fall versus The Holdovers. And then Maestro versus Past Lives. And then Poor Things versus Zone of Interest. As of this recording, I've only seen Barbie and Oppenheimer, of course, and a little bit of Killers of the Flower Moon. Because people nowadays be making movies that are three hours long, guys. So I'm very excited to do that. So without further ado, here is Barbie versus Oppenheimer. All right, let's first look at Barbie. So Barbie came out in 2023. It's directed by Greta Gerwig. And to be completely honest, I was about to not watch this movie. Uh, I saw some production stills or I think it was actually like behind the scenes look of that scene where Barbie and Ken are uh, skating through Venice Beach I think and their costumes were very colorful and it just looked so corny to me so I was like I'm probably just gonna watch this when you know it's like available on Netflix or something but then the Barbenheimer extravaganza happened and there were so many memes about Barbenheimer that I was like, you know what, maybe I need to experience this as a moviegoer, as a cinephile. Like, I cannot not participate in Barbie Barbenheimer, if you know, you, you know what I mean. So I saw the movie and I was completely blown away. Like, I was not expecting Barbie to go that deep. <laughs> I honestly thought it was going to be a movie about a doll and Ken. And I was just like, whoa, like the feminism, like, whoa, at the nostalgia. So one thing I'll, I'll say about this is, yes, this movie is very intro to feminism. I don't expect a movie about Barbie to 
go all deep and make all these like you know advanced iterations of feminism when this movie is supposed to be marketed to a very specific demographic it's if you don't know like it's so hard to make a movie period like you like the script to the producer to the distributor like it's very hard and imagine that times a hundred when it comes to being produced by a woman in this case it was produced by margot robbie it was written and directed by a woman greta gerwig and it's about a doll that (laughs) is in and of itself controversial in a feminism feminist you know lens so i was not expecting this to make some grand you know revelation about feminism so i was like fine with it i didn't even like really like i didn't really like think oh wow like this movie is so dumb like i didn't really think that what really stood out to me was the nostalgia like the barbie trying to find her identity like what was i made for type of thing so yeah i was crying at the end like i was like not i did i have not cried about a movie about a doll since Toy Story 2. <laughs> I was not expecting that. One other thing is that I was worried it was going to go over the line of really cheesy because, I mean, it's just set up to be really cheesy from the colors and the high Barbie, high Barbie, high Barbie. Like it could have very easily been super corny, but I think it made fun of itself to an appropriate degree that it worked, that I wasn't really cringing or I wasn't, I didn't really find it super cheesy. And of course, I absolutely loved the song by Billie Eilish to What Was I Made For? Even the instrumental kind of ghosty thing that they did when she was like towards the end. I'm not going to spoil it. There's no spoilers in this Road to the Oscars segments. I think another thing that people were talking about when the Oscar nominations came out was that Greta Gerwig was not nominated for best director I what when I watched I actually watched the nominations live when they were announcing it that's how hard I go (laughs) but I actually was I was very surprised that she wasn't nominated for best director because she sort of like not only did she directed this but she wrote it and This was a very epic sort of movie where there was a lot of, you know, it it could like like what I mentioned before, it could have been very cheesy. It could have been it was like on the borderline of like it could have been a really, really bad movie, especially with the way that Ken was very like overacting, I think. And I was very surprised when Ryan Gosling was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Let's, Let's just put it there. Like I was just like really (laughs) but yeah like I I felt like it could have been on the verge of being a very bad movie but it wasn't and I think it was because Greta Gerwig is a very talented director and the fact that she was not nominated was very it, it was very surprising but then it's like also not surprising because 
being a female director is very hard. Like they're not very, like they're not easily recognized. They're not acknowledged and it sucks and we need to do better. People, Academy Awards, y'all need to do better. I love that America Ferrera was nominated. I feel like her nomination was more of like a career nomination rather than like in this particular movie, she stood out. Um, but I'm not mad about it. I'm completely rooting for America Ferreira for Best Supporting Actress. So those are my thoughts about Barbie. Um, I'm going to go into what I think about Oppenheimer. And then after that, I will compare the two. Oppenheimer. My goodness, Oppenheimer. This came out 2023. This was directed by Christopher Nolan. And as I mentioned before, I did do Barbenheimer. So I went to the movie theaters and I saw Barbie and Oppenheimer back to back. I saw Barbie first and I saw Oppenheimer second. And that was a very interesting combination to me because I felt like Barbie was more of like the like an intro to what men, the chaos that men can cause. And then. Oppenheimer was like, here's a big example of that. So Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. The first thing that I got to say about this movie is the score. The score, the score, the score. The music by Ludwig Göransson. My goodness. I, I've listened to that on repeat so many times since. I think the montage of the you know, Killian Murphy's characters, like memories and the Adams and the song. I was like, this is epic. This is cinema. (laughs) It was so good, you guys. I also really loved the structure of the film. It went from like past to present. Um, Killian Murphy's point of view versus Robert Downey Jr.'s storyline and how it both like overlaps. It was just so good. The acting was really, really good. The one thing I have to say about this movie, well, there are two things. One is that it kind of started off very slow for me. I think after the excitement and the dancing and the singing from Barbie, and then you go to this and it's kind of like just It starts off just like talking and about physics. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be into this movie. It started off very slow and I was kind of bored in the beginning, but then it got good. And then it got good. The second con of this movie was the female characters. So while Barbie is very, you know, feminism, Oppenheimer is like, women only have two roles and it's the Madonna whore complex and I'm so tired of this like one woman is you know the dutiful wife in this case played by Emily Blunt versus the whore the one woman who's always naked in the whole film and who's just there to serve as Oppenheimer's you know love interest and muse and that was played by Florence Pugh all also, I have to mention that like there were so many good actors in this movie that there it was to a point where I'm like, y'all put a, like an Academy Award winning nominated actor just to do this. But then it worked. It worked. It worked in the end. Oppenheimer won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes. And the Golden Globes is a good indication of what's going to happen in the Oscars. Do I think Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture? I cannot say this at this point 
because I haven't seen any of the other um, eight nominees. But Oppenheimer is really good. I forgot to mention, I should I should I have said what these movies are about? I feel like y'all would know what Barbie and Oppenheimer is about. So Barbie is about Barbie and Oppenheimer is about Oppenheimer. <laughs> the Killian Murphy is so good, y'all. I was already on the Killian Murphy train since Red Eye came out with where he was like um, on the plane with Rachel McAdams and he was like trying to make her do like terrorism stuff and you know I was on that train already I love Killian Murphy um and he was just so good in this movie like I said I have not seen the other movies and I I I can't I don't know (laughs) if I can say that he deserves the best actor but as of now I think he does deserve the best actor um award um we'll see we'll we'll do a summary at at the day of the oscars so loved oppenheimer i think what stood out to me in oppenheimer was the score the music how it flowed through the um the cinematography and also just the structure of the story i loved how it was non-linear so that like the ending was just it added to the climax even more and like the revelation at the end. I just thought it was just so well done. I mean, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. What can we expect? So who do I think? (laughs) Barbie versus Oppenheimer. Who wins? Drum roll, please. This was a very difficult one because they're two very different movies which is i think the problem with these awards for art but anyways i believe the better movie was oppenheimer i think stylistically the score the script and the subject matter was very i i want to say important not to like diminish barbie's you know message and its role in bringing female artists at the forefront in the movie industry which is very heavily dominated by males but i just i was for lack of a better word i was blown away by oppenheimer and i just think that it won in this battle so that's the end of this road to the oscars segment next week we will be doing i believe killers of the flower moon and american fiction and continue listening to this episode to find out some of the books that i am excited to read and add to my tbr as well as the main topic of this episode So there are a couple of books that I'm really excited to add to my TBR. The first one is a nonfiction book called Lies My Teacher Told Me Everything Your American History Textbook Got Wrong by James W. Lowen. I saw this on Amory's Instagram. If you're not following Amory, she has a lot of great book recommendations. She's so intelligent. And let me read you the blurb of this. There are two editions, so I'm talking about the latest edition. 
Since its first publication in 1995, Lies My Teacher Told Me has become one of the most important and successful history books of our time. Having sold nearly 2 million copies, the book also won an American Book Award and the Oliver Cromwell Cox Award for Distinguished Anti-Racist Scholarship and was heralded on the front page of the New York Times. For this new edition, Lowen has added a new preface that shows how inadequate history courses in high school help produce adult Americans who think Donald Trump can solve their problems and and calls out academic historians for abandoning the concept of truth in a misguided effort to be objective. What started out as a survey of the 12 leading American history textbooks has ended up being what the San Francisco Chronicle calls an extremely convincing plea for truth in education. In Lies My Teacher Told Me, James W. Lowen brings history alive in all its complexity and ambiguity. Beginning with pre-Columbian history and raid Enraging over characters and events as diverse as Reconstruction, Helen Keller, The First Thanksgiving, The My Lai Massacre, 9-11, and The Iraq War, Lowen offers an eye-opening critique of existing textbooks and a wonderful retelling of American history as it should and could be taught to American students. And... The reason why I'm really interested in this, I think it's pretty obvious that I just want to know history more, especially American history, but history can be so subjective in the way that it's taught in schools. I don't think I've learned a lot in school regarding our real history. Looking back now, as I like think about like what was taught to me, especially in high school, because I don't really, I don't really remember what I was taught in elementary and middle school, but especially in high school, how certain biases are presented based on who your teacher was. And because your teacher who you automatically assume is much smarter than you is teaching it, you think it's truth. So I'm really interested in this book for um sort of breaking down that mindset before i talk about my next tbr book i want to give a shout out to my friend citarella because she gave me the idea of talking about books that were made into movies or tv shows and i think that would be a really interesting you know like special topic episode where I'll compare the book versus the visual medium, either in movies or TV shows. And I was going on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. It's Twitter. I was going on Twitter and I saw this TV show called Mary and George. It premieres April 5th on Stars. It follows Mary Villiers, played by Julianne Moore, who molded her beautiful and charismatic son, George, played by Nicholas Galatine, to seduce King James VI of Scotland and of England and became his all-powerful lover. And it's actually based on the book called The King's Assassin, The Secret Plot to Murder King James I by Benjamin Woolley. I'll read to you the synopsis. An absorbing account of the conspiracy to kill King James I by his handsome lover, the Duke of Buckingham, a historical crime that has remained hidden for 400 years. 
The rise of George Villiers from minor gentry to royal power seemed to defy gravity. Becoming gentleman of the royal bedchamber in 1615, the young gallant enraptured James, Britain's first Stuart king, royal adoration reaching such an intensity that the king declared he wanted the courier to become his quote-unquote wife. For a decade, Villiers was at the king's side, at court, on state occasions, and in bed, right up to James's death in March 1625. Almost immediately, Villiers' many enemies accused him of poisoning the king. A parliamentary investigation was launched, and scurrilous pamphlets and ballads circulated London streets. But the, chain, but the charges came to nothing and were neglect, relegated to a historical footnote. Now, new research suggests that a deadly combination of hubris and vulnerability did indeed drive Villiers to kill the man who made him. It may have been by accident, the application of a quack remedy while the king was weakened by a malarial attack. But there is compelling evidence that Villiers, Overcome by ambition and frustrated by James's passive approach to government, poisoned him. In The King's Assassin, acclaimed author Benjamin Woolley examines this remarkable, even tragic story. Combining vivid characterization and a strong narrative with historical scholarship and forensic investigation, Woolley tells the story of James, King James's death and, the, and of the captivating figure at its center. So it sounds very juicy, very scandalous, and I'm excited to see the TV show. I don't have stars, so I don't know how I'm going to watch it. But I will include the link to the promotional photo because it's super, it's it's giving, it's it's giving. <laughs> and I'm really excited because Nicholas Galantine has been like, he's been getting role after role. I first saw him in High Strung where he plays like a violinist. And he's also in Red, White, and Royal Blue. I forgot. Is that the name of the of the movie? And he's in a new movie with Anne Hathaway based on The Idea of You, which is a book that I've read. And you can check out my Instagram if you want to see my review of it. So he's been killing it with these roles. And I'm excited to do a, you know, book to TV show kind of episode when it comes out and I'm definitely going to be reading it. It sounds super interesting. And as I've said before, we want to learn more history on this podcast. So yeah. And the last book that I wanted to talk about um, on my TBR wish list is The Princess of Thornwood Drive by Kalia Moru. So the synopsis is, Two sisters are trapped on opposite sides of reality in this entrancing and deeply moving debut novel that weaves together a contemporary narrative with a parallel fantasy world. One year ago, a tragic car accident killed 22-year-old Lane's parents and left her 18-year-old sister, Alyssa, paralyzed and nonverbal. Now, instead of studying animal nutrition or competing as one of the few equestrians of color, Lane is struggling with predatory banks, unscrupulous healthcare organizations, and rude customers at the coffee shop where she works. That's why when, La when Lake Forest Adult Day Center offers to take care of Alyssa free of charge, Lane is relieved. Alyssa isn't relieved, though. 
After all, in her mind, there was never a car accident. Instead, she and her parents, the king and queen of Mirandal, were attacked one year ago in the forest. Her parents kidnapped while she was cursed and now must spend her days in Lake Forest's home for Chang Changles, a temple caring for mortals such as herself. Perhaps there she could meet other Changles who show her how to embrace her new life. However, there is a dark prince at Lake Forest one who has taken a peculiar interest in not only Alyssa, but her sister as well. And while Lane struggles to make ends meet on an everyday basis, Alyssa finds herself leading a battle that threatens to destroy not only her and her sister, but their entire kingdom. So this book came out already. It came out November 7th, 2023. And it sounds super interesting. I don't think I've read many books where... It was like half fantasy, half contemporary. And the co the cover of this book is absolutely gorgeous. You can see the links in the description box to see the cover. And yeah, I'm definitely going to pick this up. Um, it's it won. Um, it was part of the Pop Sugar's Best New Fantasy Books of 2023. The Roots Books to Read by Black Authors. And yeah, I'm definitely going to check this out and we'll definitely make an episode about it. All right, so now for the main topic of our episode, I'm going to be reviewing two books that I've read. The first one being Prince of Endless Tides by Ben Alderson. I got this book as an advanced reader copy. So thank you to Ben for the arc. This is book four of the Darkmorn universe, but it can be read as a standalone. So you don't need to read the other books in the series. And this is my first Ben Alderson book. So I'm completely new to this. I have been following him on Instagram for a while but this is the first book that I read from him. I'm going to read the synopsis, a new MM fantasy romance standalone. Inspired by The Little Mermaid and Atlantis, what if the prince and the sea witch fell in love in a world ruled by evil mermaids and vengeful gods? For fans of Kellen Graves, Elise Kova, and Carissa Broadbent. Do I please you, my prince? Prince Ernest Eyre will do anything to please his controlling father even if that means using his God-given magic to sway the minds of everyone he has ever met. Wealth, royalty, and control over the land and everything on it, but still, it is not enough. With the power to achieve anything, all he wants is to give up. But everything changes when he is infected with the deadly poison of a mare bite, and his magic is stolen. Killian Metropoli made a deal with the god of the ocean, Karakos, on the fateful night when his mother took a blade to his throat and killed him. Gifted with immortality and the power over sea and storm, Killian was offered a second chance at life for the sole purpose of ridding the oceans of the evil, soulless creatures, the myrrh, terrifying monsters made from a union between two warring gods. Killian is faced with duty or escape. He must choose to go against a powerful god for a bad-mouthed prince who could give him the one thing he desires most, freedom. 
Time is of the essence, otherwise Killian will be forced against his will to kill Ernest if he becomes the very monster his life is dedicated to destroying. Fate is fickle, the threads knotted, and time is running out. Ernest must save his people before he becomes the very monster he has always feared. Killian will do anything to rid himself of his shackles. But an evil darkness is rising and they must become allies to stop it before the world they know becomes a battlefield for benevolent gods. Okay, so this was fun to read, honestly. Like, it's very different from what I normally read, even for fantasy books. I don't think I've I've read so many fantasy books that I'm just like, I feel like I'm, I've seen it all. But this was definitely, I would just say it, it was definitely fun to read. Um, it did, it it is written in multiple point of views in the point of view of Prince Ernest and Killian. And I don't know if you remember me saying this. I'm probably going to say this over and over again. I'm not really a huge fan of books written in dual perspectives only because it's very difficult to follow. And sometimes when you're reading a chapter, you're like, wait, who's talking again? And it takes a very skilled author to make the voices very distinguished that you already know without even have to look at the beginning of the chapter who's talking and whatnot. So it was hard to follow, especially since it's a new world, it's fantasy. So you have to be like, wait, what is that again? Like, what is this in the world? So I did what I was confused a bit in that, but I do recommend you reading this if you enjoy, you know, just fun fantasy books. Um, I definitely will check out Ben Alderson's other books too, because I just think that they're just fun to read. And, um, I do think he's a very skillful writer and especially in fantasy. So yeah, check it out if you so please. The next book I want to talk about is something that I really, really enjoyed. It's called Tomb Sweeping, a short story collection by Alexandra Chang. And this is probably one of the most well-written short story collections. I was intrigued by every story. Like there wasn't a story that bored me or I was like, I wish this is over already. So let me read you the blurb. Compelling and perceptive, tomb sweeping probes the loyalties we hold to relatives, to strangers, and to ourselves. In stories set across the U.S. and Asia, Alexandra Chang immerses us in the lives of immigrant families, grocery store employees, expecting parents, and guileless lab assistants. A woman known only to her neighbors as the Asian recycling lady collects bottles from the streets she calls home. An unfulfilled housewife in Shanghai finds a secret outlet for her ambitions in an undercover gambling den. Two strangers become something more through the bond of mistaken identity. Adeptly attuned to the mystery of living, Tomb Sweeping invites us to consider whether one person can ever entirely do right by another. And I thought this book was, again, so well written. And there was one story that I wanted to talk about in particular if I can just find it it's called um Leafon and what's interesting about this short story is that it's written 
backwards. So you act the, the story starts with the main character, Lee Fon, found dead. And then it goes back through her life and until like the beginning of college. And it was so depressing. <laughs> and if you know me very well, I love depressing stories. So Lee Fon is about a woman who, an old woman who has to collect plastic bottles from the street. And then you go back towards her life and how she ended up becoming this woman who collects bottles from the street. And the and at the end, it's pretty devastating because it's like she's on the cusp of her life and she's looking forward to her life, um, especially as just a young woman. And she ends up having to immigrate to the United States with her husband. And yeah, it's a very short, it's only like one, two, it's only three pages long, but it's, it stood out to me with the way it was written. Another one is To Get Rich is Glorious. This is the one about the woman who starts a mahjong gambling den. And there were a lot of beautiful quotes in this particular story. Um, one is, so this is from the story To Get Rich is Glorious. In a taxi to the university, she stares out the window at the tall buildings, the shimmering billboards for restaurants, movies, designer clothes, pop stars, cosmetics, how beautiful everything looks when blown, when blown out of proportion. And there's another quote from this story that I underlined. This is when she, she ends up in prison. The inmates will show their mothers their progress through poetry, painting, dance, music, and theater. For the warden has taken upon the new belief that the arts have the only true ability to change minds and hearts. And there are other stories in this book that were just so well done and so, like, it captures the irony of life and how we have such high expectations for it and it doesn't meet those things i love that it centers on asian characters and yeah i highly recommend this tomb sweeping by alexandra chang so that's the end of this episode i really hope that you enjoyed it let me know what you think let me know if you agree with my barbie and Oppenheimer um choice let me know what you're reading and what you're excited about and i will see you next week